This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and uh, with my partner in in not crime, uh, Adam. Um, I feel like we haven't recorded an episode in uh, quite a while. It's been probably about a month, I think. Uh, what it feels like uh, the summer just got kind of got away from us, but uh, here we are back in the studios uh adam's kitchen and my basement you know where we make the magic happen it's the combination of the two or maybe both sorry just having a little sip of red wine feeling fancy tonight because we're talking about uh denver steaks and uh the neck neck roast neck meat there's lots of different neck terms uh but we'll we'll call it what we will as we move through it but uh those are the two cuts we'll be focusing on we're continuing this whole series of uh cooking by cut so that uh we give you the information up front so that you understand uh better the cuts that you're working with and can use them more effectively in the kitchen as you break them down off the animals that you're you're out in the doors with out in the doors with geez <laughs> I don't even know. that you bring home from the outdoors there we go um yeah a little so, more a little less wine yeah maybe some more yeah. um it's the first <laughs> glass so uh who knows what's gonna happen towards the end of the glass i guess but um one one thing that we won't point out 
you know, we talk about like the processors versus DIY stuff, and I'm not going to harp on it a lot. Like if you've got a great processor, you've got a great processor, but we definitely encourage folks to learn to process stuff on their own. You're going to get the most meat yield out. You have the most, uh, opportunity to do different things with cuts. You're not going to end up with just roast steaks, grind, tenderloins, backstrap, like those are your standard cuts you're going to get from the processor. If you start asking for other crazy cuts, you're going to get some eyebrow raises and probably have to pay a little extra, which is okay. But if you learn to do it yourself, uh, you're going to end up with more meat yield and you're probably going to be happier uh, that you're, you're handling it uh, versus passing it off. So, um, just wanted to hit on that. I don't think we've hit on it in a while, so I'll mention it. Yeah, even just for uh, if, little things like if you want bone-in steaks or mm. like I said, something a little different. Like I, I worked at a really good butcher that did a really good job, and we took pains to really separate people's meat from it, like deer from each other, and and I think we did a better job than a lot of the stuff I've seen come out of other butchers. And still, we would never cut things on the bone for people or do all that kind of stuff. Cause we just, we just got slammed every, every season when you got like hundreds of deer coming in. Uh, there's only so much attention you can pay to each one. So um, even the best butchers and processors aren't going to give you um, the very best kind of stuff. If, if they would, if they could, but they're too busy to do so, I think so. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it happens. You get a lot in, but, um, I was going to say, so we're going to slate next up in our, our conversations for the next episode from here. Uh, we'll be talking about, uh, the ribs and the brisket, uh, some often overlooked cuts of meat on, especially like I would say deer, uh, deer, antelope, kind of some of your midsize, uh, game animals just because people are like ah there's not much there but there's definitely some there and there's a lot of cool things you can do with it uh and we'll, we'll chat about that uh coming up on the next episode but let's go ahead and go into the denver steak so many of you might be wondering what the hell's a denver steak well uh i i will tell you that it is quickly growing to be one of my favorite cuts of meat uh from game animals and I'll tell you that it is that because it is usually one that contains a bit of marbling, which is pretty cool. And it's got a lot of, it's got like a mix of uh, moisture you get from the fat in there. It's tender. And then it also just has really good flavor because it's still from that like front shoulder chuck portion of the, of the animal. Uh, but it's from the underblade. We've mentioned it on the other episodes, I think probably when we talked about the whole shoulder. Uh, but so you have your blade. So if you're looking at your shoulder hole on the back side of the blade, uh, where the blade would attach to the top of the rib cage, uh, that's where you'll see that Denver steak. Um, I think probably like my favorite thought of the Denver steak of like a common reference of like, you don't know till you know, is that in, gosh, it must've been three or four seasons of meat eater, uh, back, uh, I think Steve's down in Texas hunting Neil guy or whitetail deer in Texas with Jesse Griffiths. And, uh, he's watching Jesse's watching Steve, like take the front shoulder off and you see like the cut go through and you see Jesse kind of like <laughs> wince and grimace a bit. And what happened is like Steve, like went through the Denver steak, like cutting it in half. And I mean, I'm guilty of it. Uh, before I knew that cut was there, like you just kind of like 
cut off the shoulder blade and whatever was there was there and you just moved on with life. But once you know, you know, um, it, uh, it's kind of a clamshell looking piece of meat. Like when you get it off, uh, off, off the bone, which is pretty cool. Cause it's almost equal thickness. Uh, if you think about it, usually like an inch to two inches or probably a little more if you're getting it off a bigger game animal. Um, but I was researching it in a little more depth depth and, uh, it's the fourth most tender cut on the animal. Uh, so I'm guess, um, any, any guess Adam on what the, the top three are. So tenderloin, I'm going to throw in there. Yeah, tenderloin for sure. Maybe like the ribeye or, or, uh, rib steak. Yep. Um, probably go with two. V one. The third. We could probably say probably like the tenderloin. Might be the, uh, the like, flat iron. Or? Ooh, that would be a good one. I would say flat iron's pretty tender. Yeah. So you flat iron, flat, flat iron or loin. Yeah, I think you probably throw those in there. I mean, I think if you went with like a tenderloin, a loin, the flat iron, and and the uh, the Denver steak would probably get you comfortable in range because I think even to that rib steaks from the you're taking from the loin right on that one. Yeah. Um. Yep. You, you have any thoughts? Any further thoughts on it? On uh the just initial intro into the Denver steak? I know you're you're a Denver steak fan too. Yeah, I, I rarely cut them out in the first few years butchering, but lately I've been doing it a little more and, and always thoroughly enjoy it. And I've uh, picked up some like beef, um, beef Denver steaks from from butchers, and they've been really good too. Um, because they just have tons of marbling, they're a little thicker and everything. So, uh, but they're pretty hard to find, which is another great thing about doing your own processing. Because even if you're looking for beef Denver steaks, you're gonna have a hell of a time trying to find them. Uh, you're gonna have to find like a really good butcher that will do it for you. So, by doing your own animals, you can actually take those like little gems out of the out of the um meat pile and and enjoy them and Denver is definitely one of those so I'll, I'll say to you that yeah part of that probably um if you're looking at beef like you're having to deal with a lot more when you're dealing with that chuck to get that cut out but it's also I'll, I'll rearrange my order here the culinary history of it so it's a fairly new cut of meat um, it was only unveiled in 2009, um, as a formal beef cut. And that was a result of, we've talked about it before. There was a project with the university of Florida and the university of Nebraska, where they were trying to figure out like, Hey, what, how many like total cuts do we have on a cow? How many, you know, how can we better market this? How can we promote it? How can we get more people buying beef? And so really, that is how you ended up with the Denver steak is they were like, there's this cool, really tender cut that's hanging out on the back of the Chuck. And, uh, we should, we should promote this because it's, it's delicious. And it too, I, you know, I live in Denver and I think like, Oh yeah, it's a Denver steak. And I just think of like the old West and Cowboys and like, you know, (laughs) sitting there with a plate of steak and beans and, you know, sourdough biscuits, uh, and that just makes me think about the Denver steak. But in reality, like 
I, I would say it's not named because it's a popular cut along the Rocky Mountain foothills. Like it's just uh it just <laughs> caught the name. Like this is American. This is the steak. So, which is funny because I've never seen it in a butcher shop here in the states, but you've seen it in in butcher shops in Canada, which is I think it's uh Ooh. it's very interesting. It's kind of funny. Apparently, I read that the Japanese had discovered this cut like i'm sure butchers all over in the past people have been cutting up meat for thousands of years so i'm sure mm-hmm. people have enjoyed this before 2008 or whatever <laughs> whenever this was discovered in america but um the japanese apparently have been eating it for a while and they they pull it out of like their uh wagyu beef mm. and they call it the zabuton cut which means like a soft cushion oh that's Japanese. cool yeah, so so it's been <clears throat> eaten in some other parts of the world, but it's yeah relatively new. But uh, I like their name for it because it is one of the more tender cuts. So the so, and it's kind of shaped like a, a teardrop or a cushion, or it's it's got like a unique shape to it. So um, yeah, it's kind of a cool little factoid I found online. Yeah, that's pretty neat. And and I even thought, holy smokes, could you imagine how tender it would be coming off a of wagyu? Like, oh my god. Yeah. Just melt in your mouth, probably. Yeah. I wonder if it would be cheaper than like your your prime cuts. Well, I don't know if Japan discovered it already. Maybe they they know. So, um, let's talk a little about about where it's located and how to remove it. So we alluded uh, that it's underneath the shoulder blade. Obviously, it's attached to both the blade and it's attached to the top of the rib cage there. And actually the you you noted the name of it serratus ventralis would be the latin name of the muscle uh so there's a there's a bit of barroom banter for you if you ever come across that name um but like i said it's it's pretty easy to remove if you know it's there it's also really easy to cut through if you don't know it's there um but kind of what I do is I like to keep it attached to the blade as I'm butchering and taking the front shoulder off. So essentially what I'll do is as I come back and I push the shoulder away or the foreleg front leg away from the center mass of the animal to get underneath of like the armpit area. Uh, I just kind of, I stick very tight to the rib cage as I go basically from the ribs north to the spine. And I just try to stay as close as I can, uh, just like keeping my knife even kind of bent slightly as I slide it along the rib cage to kind of push that. And you'll see that muscle hanging out there uh, because, like I said, it will be attached to the blade. But you can easily just like cut straight through it. If you're just pushing back and cutting, pushing and cutting and pushing and cutting, you'll just slice it right in half and you'll end up with bits of it on the, uh, on the ribs and bits of it on the the blade. But if you stick pretty much to the blade, it does, it does thin out a bit as it like kind of spreads out across the ribs. So you just kind of have to pick a point in which you're going to start cutting and just kind of start, uh, sliding your knife along. But it's fairly easy to get off and it's fairly recognizable. Like once you see it, um, I don't know, Adam, you agree? Yeah, for sure. And you're going to probably end up squaring off the steak 
mm-hmm. when you're done anyways. So I wouldn't worry too much if you're getting into the nitty gritty of where it's spreading out a little bit. Like if you got the main portion of the muscle, that's all you really need anyways. And then you can kind of square it up after if you, if you like and uh, keep things like a relative um, even thickness across. So one part of the steak isn't cooking faster than the other part. Um, yeah. And then and on like a deer, like you're only probably going to be pulling off like one from each side. Right. Mm-hmm. And something bigger, like a moose or a big elk or something, you might be able to like cut the steak into pieces and have more than more than one. It all depends on the size of the animal. Yeah. With two, I would think probably black bear would be pretty tasty on as well. Yeah. True. Yeah. It would be nicely marble and you could probably get a good thick, cut of meat on that mm-hmm. um and then as far as like getting it off the blade itself i mean you'll see where the muscle lies it's very very self-explanatory it's not like you're trying to cut around joints or anything like that it's, it's literally the back of the shoulder blade that blade bone or uh, scapula um that you're cutting it from and so once you have that it's done i too like if you're quartering your animal out then it's just going to stay on that you don't have to worry about cutting it off of it as you're packing it out. You can leave it just attached. That's one reason I do it out of just like sort of systematic technique. That's the way my brain works of like, I know it's there. If I follow along the ribs, I know it's attached to the, the front shoulder and I know it's going to go in the game bag and be with the front shoulder. It's not like I'm pulling, you know, the loins and the tenderloin and all those other things in like separate bags or trying to pile them with others. And then I'm playing the mystery meat game at the end of it. Um, you can confidently like leave it attached and it, it's perfectly fine. Let's talk a bit about cooking, cooking. Mm. Uh, we won't go into recipes. I'm going to say the recipes for the end. So if you're listening, wait for the recipes at the end. Uh, I've got, we've got a few recipes for each, each cut, but the idea, ideal uh, preparation method for the Denver steak, as you could probably guess, you're probably sitting there driving to work right now listening to this podcast you're like i know what it is and i'm going to say the high heat sear uh just because it's it's such a tender cut it's got good fat content it you're going to go that like high heat quick cook um i would say it's great for the grill uh so i could just picture the denver steak just sizzling on top of a grill grate of a charcoal or gas or pellet whatever your fancy is uh grill uh and ready to go also i don't list broil but i don't know i don't know do people yeah, broil yeah. broil steaks still i don't know i think in restaurants it happens maybe more with like the salamander yeah kind of grill or broiler but i've never broiled a steak i think that'd be kind of a Annoying pain in the ass to do, but I could just cook in the cast iron. I remember, so growing up, my my grandmother would uh, broil pork chops like mm. at the bottom of the stove. Um, but you always end up with this like really charred pork chop, uh, which I'm not a fan of. Like the bitter burnt, burnt flavor on pork, it's just a complete turn off. Like if you go to a restaurant and I remember this was back a lot, especially you get like the chain restaurants, you'd go and you'd order pork chops and it would be like super dry, overcooked and it would be like overly charred hash marks of like where they cooked it. Yeah. And it just like, it's just so gross. Just <laughs> turn. Uh, I'm just, yeah. 
Here's a gallon of applesauce to cover up that. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> or you're like, can I get a ketchup, please? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's one. One, I enjoy wild pork much better because it's got much more flavor. But two, I'm definitely super careful with, with how I sear my pork. I was going to jump in with a little anecdote. Talking about wild pork um, at our wild pig camps every year or every season. Um, Adam Steele, who is the butcher instructor, um, he'll always cut off the like a Denver steak off of one of the pigs and send it into the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So basically, I'm in these pig camps. I'm working in the kitchen. Adam's working outside of the butcher station. Justin's generally going back and forth. And so uh, Justin will arrive with a, a Denver, a raw Denver steak on a plate, and I'll sear it up nice and hot on a cast iron there and uh, just serve it sliced with salt and pepper uh, back to everyone else outside. And every single time we do that, everyone's mind is blown by this cut. Uh, they're all gushing over it because it's so so delicious and and i've seen like with three or four different groups now just all go crazy over this denver steak coming off a wild pig after we show them you know adam obviously walks them through the process of how to remove it from the demo pig of whatever we're butchering but then as they're learning to butcher themselves um we show them how to take that cut off and like it's always like it's so cool to see that one set aside and the other one too is like the bigger pigs of like the jowl uh jowl meat that's always a fun one to teach people about as well but for those listening right now we still have uh i think five seats open at our december pig camp which is the 7th through the 10th uh in jacksboro texas i'll throw the link into the show notes or you can go over to just our main website page, harvestingnature.com, and you'll see like a couple uh, ads, like banner ads for it. And you click on that, and it'll go straight to it. But uh, we'd love to have you. If you want to learn, come learn to, to what shoot, hunt, butcher, process, and cook wild pigs in the three days. And this is like very in tune with what we're teaching here in, in our our cooking by cut episodes because we, we do spend a lot of time on the culinary side of things at camp. So it's really cool to be able to watch someone show you how to take the the specific cutter muscle out and then go and actually taste it and see how to cook it and, mm-hmm. and see like we could talk about it for hours, but when you're actually tasting it and feeling it and then going back and cutting shooting your own pig and cutting it out of your own pig and bringing it home. It's pretty special opportunity to be able to, you know, get all the senses involved and really get a, a sense of like exactly where it is. And you, you won't forget it once you do that. I don't think either. Yeah. And the flavor and the texture and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Like it just, uh, it just really like you're in, you're in it. And I, it's so much feedback we've gotten from it is like, people realize like you see that aha moment of like the connection to the food piece of people like, Oh, like I just wanted, you know, I wanted to learn to shoot pigs and butcher stuff on my own. But I came here and I had like this whole culinary experience of like, Holy smokes. I am now like connected to my food in a way that I never thought I would be. And, uh, it's great to see beginner hunters, brand new hunters, hunters that have, you know, hunted their whole life. To, to come through and see even that experience happen. I think it's really cool. And then for them to bring friends and family back and invite other people, uh, I think is, is super awesome. But, um, let's see. So, uh, 
also put on here stir fry as mm. well. Stir because I thought stir fry was a good one just because to I think with this cut, a big one is slicing across the grain. because uh, it does have long grains. So if you were to slice with those grains, you may get a, a bit of chewy action going on. Just a bit, but I think the way that the meat's settled, if you're you're cutting across the grain, you should be you, you're gonna get your best result. And with that stir fry, you're doing that and then doing that quick quick cook on it. I wouldn't throw it in at the front of your stir fry. I'd throw it in at the tail end of your stir fry for sure. Yeah, I keep it still medium in the middle or medium rare. Yeah. If people are, because I've heard a couple of people express frustration uh, about the cutting against the grain or with grain kind of stuff. Because when, when you work with meat all the time, it just becomes obvious. But a lot of people don't actually know what we're talking about when we say that. Um. So I just thought we should maybe explain it a little bit just for anyone who might not know. Um, if you're looking at a, at a steak and especially something like this that has long grains, like the grains we're talking about are actually like um, barely visible lines or striations across the cut of meat. And if you're looking at them um, going kind of, and they'll be in a pattern, like all moving in the same direction and you want to cut perpendicular to those those lines, and that's cutting against the grain. Uh, most situations, you're going to want to cut against the grain because it's actually sh- like shortening the the meat fibers, which will make it less chewy and more tender. If you cut with the grain, you're going to be chewing on those um, fibers, and you're going to have to break them down with your teeth, which is why it's a lot tougher. Some situations, like with uh, jerky or a couple different uh, unique situations, you're going to cut with the grain. But for almost all other applications, you're always going to be cutting against the grain for a more tender end product. So, so next time you have a piece of meat in your hands, take a really close look at it, and you'll see these kind of lines moving across it within within the meat itself. And uh, and you'll notice that different cuts have slightly different lines, and some cuts um, they get a little mixed up, and it's harder to find too. Like I'm thinking, is it a uh, like skirt steak, or there's a few that are a little, um, little mixed up. So the more you notice it, so every time you get a piece of meat at home, take a close look, take a look before you cook it, after you cook it, start cutting its grain, maybe try cutting it with the grain just to see the difference. And then you'll start to really notice exactly why we're always talking about cutting its grain, cutting its grain. Um, it'd be a good little fun experiment at home to, tr- to try that. So Yeah. Which I, which too, I think in, Maybe one reason a lot of folks aren't super comfortable with it or familiar with it is because if you buy just like your primary steak cuts of like your loin cuts or your ribeyes or your New Yorks or like those, you don't necessarily have to worry about cutting across the grain on those because they're short, tight muscle fibers uh, versus a lot of the cuts we were talking about, um, especially in the front shoulder. You're getting like these long, stringy fibrous uh cuts of meat and just like adam said like those would be like chewing on a piece of string a long piece of string versus chewing on like a little portion of a string i guess if that makes (laughs) sense (laughs) put it very uh bluntly one of the cool things about the denver steak and the the reason why it's uh such a tender steak within very not tender region of the animal. Generally the shoulder is going to be pretty tough 
Um, but it's still really flavorful. So you have a tender steak that's super flavorful, which is pretty unique inside an animal. And the reason that's happening is because hardworking muscles generally have a lot more blood flowing through them. So if you're thinking of like uh, the shoulder and the neck and all these things, there's like they're being used a lot. So the blood's kind of flowing through them. Um, they're developing a lot of different collagen and all these things happening inside of them. Whereas the tenderloin, which barely gets used at all as a muscle, barely has any blood rolling through it. So it's going to be generally more pale in color and it's going to be less flavorful as a, as a cut in the end product. But this Denver steak actually comes from part of the shoulder uh, where it gets the benefit of having all the blood flowing through it, but it's in this weird, unique position where it's not being used. So it's getting the benefits of being in the shoulder, but it's not being used similar to the tenderloin. So you end up with this flavorful cut of meat that's actually tender and to have the best of both worlds like that is actually pretty rare. Um, it's why like a ribeye steak tastes so much better than, uh, than like a tenderloin steak on a, on a beef um, because that ribeye is in, closer to the shoulder is getting used a lot more, but it's still in that tender region. Um, yeah. So I just want to say that about the Denver, that it's like a really unique, cool cut in that, in that regard. No, that's, that's such an awesome, uh, it's an awesome string of thoughts on that. <laughs> like, I think it's, uh, it, it presents some like, I was like, Oh yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, and definitely like even puts it up there on the top shelf cuts, I would say amongst, uh, and I don't know, they say it's fourth most tender cut, but like if I look at the cuts that I really appreciate on the animal, I think the Denver steak is quickly climbing to the top of the list. So mm-hmm. we have to make a t-shirt that says I heart Denver steaks or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, well, let's switch gears a little bit and let's, uh, let's move to another portion of the animal and let's talk about the neck. I mentioned earlier, you'll hear people call it the neck. You'll hear them call it neck meat. You'll hear them call it the neck roast. You'll hear them. I don't know. What are some other neck terms that you've, uh, you've heard? That's one. I usually have a list of all weird names that I found online for these things, but I didn't, the neck is the neck. <laughs> I haven't found many other terms. I did. I did find one. I did find one in the, the culinary history, which we'll talk about in a minute. It's neck bones. Uh, which I think is yeah. is oh, interesting. Yes. Yeah, sure. But um so I will say too, this cut 
is probably very commonly left behind on a lot of animals. Um, just for the fact that if you look uh, through a lot of like the want and waste laws, I don't, some states include the neck and some states don't, um, which I think is very interesting. But like as a hunter who enjoys eating game meat uh, and tops that at my list for pursuits, I would say that leaving behind the neck meat is very, uh, you know, unless it's like blown out or something's wrong with it, I think is uh, to me a mortal sin. I'll just go ahead and say it because there's so much, so much flavor, so much meat, like even off, I've taken meat off antelope box and antelope dough and you're still getting like, you know, three, four, five pounds of meat off the neck alone. And if you were to leave that in the field, like if you think about it this way, if you were to grind it and you took, uh, you know, we'll say four pounds that came off the neck, right? And say you make a burger that's a quarter pound, you're essentially throwing away 16 hamburgers. Like, why would you do that? Yeah, it seems crazy. It's not yeah. that much work to get it off either. Yeah. No. No, and uh, if you talk about bigger animals too, like moose, elk, uh, bear, even though I have a shorter neck, you're still getting a good amount. Um elk if i said it mm-hmm. all, all those like big animals you're getting a ton of meat off the neck because they're big bodied animals with longer neck bases too so you're getting a like lot a big of old buck and ruck in yeah rut. like their necks are just massive on those things yeah it's a lot of meat and you know what that that meat is so versatile uh we'll talk about it in in just a minute when we talk about the recipes but um it can and is tough. Uh, but if you go into that with the understanding of like, this is tough meat, it is full of tendons and there's bones there. There's all this connective tissue and there's all this collagen and all this stuff is present and you treat it as that and you prepare for it when you cook it, you're going to end up with this like really magical dish that's uh you know we harped on and we talked about the front shoulder and like cooking the whole shoulder and even some of those like slower cuts of there of like the flavor and the texture that you're gonna get out of neck roasts out of uh you know i've even seen people cross cut freeze and cross cut them into like neck steaks uh Mm -hmm. bone-in steaks um it's so much flavor so good um Obviously, it's located on the neck. It's pretty uh, easily identifiable part of uh, the animal. So when I look at it, like if I'm going to approach like a neck, generally you've got your animal laid down on one side if you're butchering in the field and you'll peel the hide back from you know that part of the, the animal to expose the meat. And you've got uh, your esophagus in the front. Uh, and you've got the, the crest of your spine uh, really in the back. And so I'll kind of break, mentally break it down in half. And you, I treat it as two different sides. And to me, that's the easiest way to like approach this cut. And then it's just a, a matter of sort of starting. You essentially start where your loin uh, ends and kind of butts up to 
to the base of the neck and you just start kind of peeling back the meat and cutting it with your knife and peeling it and cutting it. The only tricky part is you have to think about the vertebrae themselves. And if you think about them as star shaped, right with, uh, you've got kind of the crest, the, the crest of the spine, as I called it earlier, would be the top of the star. And then you've got two points on each side and then you've got two points that are kind of around where your esophagus would be located. So if you think about it like that, you can really, as you're peeling back, you cut inward towards the spine, you come back out and you go back in and it's kind of like this up and down motion to get over those, you know, X number of vertebrae to do it without missing a lot of the meat. And I think that's probably the most efficient way. I try to get it in like one big chunk. Uh, that way it's easier. And, mm -hmm. you know, like I mentioned earlier, you're not playing the mystery meat uh, game. You know, like that's the necros. Look at this, like this uh, sinewy, ropey piece of meat that came off the front. Um, like that, that's exactly what it is. I think that's probably the, to me, the easiest way to get, to get it off the animal. And then you when you roll the animal over to the other side and you take the, the other two quarters off, um, you just repeat the process. But I don't know, Adam, do you have a different process? No, that's pretty similar. I think in, I have done um, bone in applications before where I just kind of sawed the neck off. Um, obviously if you are living in areas with uh chronic wasting disease, that might not be a good idea. You're probably going to stick with the boning the animal. Um, but yeah, you just kind of peel it away and keep keep making small slices until it just unfolds for you. For you. And uh, yeah, and it's, it can be a pretty gigantic piece of meat, depending on the animal. No, it, it could be super, super huge. Um, when you try to look at like the culinary history of this cut of meat. Uh, I would say it's probably very much in line with a lot of the other sort of uh, cuts of meat of this was probably not at the top of the list for your, uh, your wealthier people. They likely were not eating neck roasts. Mm -hmm. um, they were probably eating the, the more fancy cuts, which we discussed earlier. But um, I mentioned previously one that one uh, note that stood out to me was uh, within soul food, which as uh, many people know, that's like your comes from your Southern African-American uh, roots in, in the U S here. And those often too, you're going to uh, get those, less desirable cuts from I would say less desirable from a standpoint of wealth at the time is where that came from. So yeah. now I would say those are very desirable cuts in a lot of cultures and a lot of communities, but at that place in time was not. So uh but a dish called uh neck bones, which was from primarily from pork, uh but it essentially took took the um neck roast and would cut it down the middle and then cross cut like bone in steaks, as we mentioned earlier, uh, from the neck 
which was then braised or slow cooked uh, in all kinds of delicious flavorings. But I think that was stood out to me as the most obvious thing. I don't know, Adam, uh, in your research, did you learn any other culinary history around the neck roast or the neck meat or the neck? No, it's not for the most part. Um, there are similar things happening with, um, with mm-hmm. lamb neck roasts in the Middle East and North Africa where they're being slow cooked in a kind of similar way. And maybe that's where that recipe originated. Yeah. You never know. Um, there's parts in uh, there's in Asia you get a lot of uh, like in Thai cooking you can do like mm-hmm. a pork collar, um, and they actually serve it um, kind of medium, which is interesting. Um, I think it would be much better with like farmed kind of fatty pigs. If you're working with like a wild animal, um, you're going to be a lot tougher than than an animal that's been in a farm for a long time. Uh, and they'll just grill the collar, like the part of the neck from behind the head, and serve it with like a really pungent dipping sauce. And then in uh, Korea, they have uh, ganjutang, which is like a, another pork neck bone soup, and actually have a recipe for venison one I'll talk about later um, that I really enjoy. But as happens with a lot of the like offcuts um not just organs but some of these offcuts like shanks and and neck and and these kind of things um it was peasant food for the most part so you're not going to have the same kind of recorded recipes that you'll find for a lot of the other fancier cuts um later on so i feel like the culinary history of these things is a little bit lost yeah and i you know that's unfortunate and hopefully we see this especially too in the wild game world of like a resurgence of use. Um, but I think too, across the way, people are relooking at these, these uh, more tough cuts of like, how can we better utilize them? Um, and I think that's a phenomenal thing that's happening. Uh, and so we always encourage people like keep the cuts, learn what to do with them. It's the purpose of this podcast at this current moment. Um but I think one interesting point I want to bring up and we can talk about it for a minute is uh, we've, we've got this onset of chronic wasting disease across the United States. Uh, do you guys, do you guys have evidence of it in Canada? A little bit in Canada, but not as much. I think there's more of it in Alberta, maybe Saskatchewan than it is here, but there have been a couple of cases appearing in Quebec. So I, I bring this up to say that if you're in an area with CWD, the theory behind CWD and the prions and all that is that it it resides in heavily in the nervous system, which runs through the sp- through yeah, the, spine. the spine, so spinal guess what's yeah. most prevalent uh, that you're you're literally cooking. Um, there's no known case of transmission of CWD from deer to or any animal to humans, um, but also don't want to be patient zero. Uh, people have taken. <laughs> taken different stances on this. People have chosen to consume the meat, all this other stuff. There's, there's 
tons of thoughts and opinions out there, but I'm just going to say this, uh, that if you are unsure, uh, whether or not your animal is coming or is coming from an area that is known for CWD and you're not getting it tested, like think through that process. I would say think through as you're serving your kids, your family, your friends, all that. If you're going to eat it, it's a personal choice, but if you're serving it to other people and they're unknown to that, just think through that. So I would say the neck meat itself would be okay, but if you're taking like neck meat and spine and all this other stuff and you're cooking it, like just, just do the right thing. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to tell you what that right thing is. Just think through it before you do it, right? Um, because you're 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 at that like disgust point uh, in the animal where CWD technically resides or theoretically resides. So I just wanted to put that plug out there, especially for folks that uh, you know are definitely in. CWD areas and hunting game that's that's in that and bringing it home to just think about the neck and the neck roast meat probably good uh I will say there's currently I think the way it is is there's no known temperature that kills or gets rid of or however it is for CWD um so yeah we'll put that out there not to be a Debbie Downer but um it is what it is and when you deal with wild food, you got to think differently than you do domestic stuff. So just, uh, just as you think about parasites or anything else, think about that. But that's a great segue into the actual cooking. Uh, we, we've danced around it a bit, but the, I think the meat from the neck is ideal for really three things, braising, stewing, and grinding. Um, and I think any of those you're going to find very positive results. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that people have cross cut it and, um, I think even if they've cross cut it, they've like roasted it at a slower temperature, all those things like that. Cause you're still dealing with tough cuts. You're just cutting it across the grain. Um, as we mentioned earlier. So just, just as we think about that, that's sort of like where, where you're best going to find use of that. I think a lot of uh, the one thing that always comes to mind to me, and I've done it before is like, we've talked about like the, uh, the sandwiches with like the slow braised, slow cooked meat and then strips and chunks, uh, mm-hmm. you know, things to like ropa vieja, which is like a stringy meat Cuban dish would be really good for this cut. Um, tacos, obviously, I also feel like any cut of meat can go to a taco uh, in whatever capacity it's in. Yeah, let's say if 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 uh, the never steak is the fourth most tender cut on, the, on an animal, the neck is the second most yeah. tough cut, toughest cut. Shanks, yeah, shanks. So if you listen to our shanks episode last yep. one, I think it was the last one we did. Um, you're gonna follow the same kind of thing. Uh, you're gonna have to braise it low and slow to to really tenderize that cut but then you get the same thing with the shanks it's full of collagen which turns into gelatin it's full of all these beautiful flavorful amazing things so you're going to get way more flavor out of the this cut than others sometimes even to 
potentially a detriment. The, if I find the neck so flavorful that people who are really sensitive to to wild game might find it a little too intense on its own. Um, if that's the case, I'd recommend just using um, bold flavors with it. It's like braising in red wine or beers, um, yeah. Asian flavors, gochujang, fish sauce, funky things like really go to town mm. or like curries, like put a lot, like you can just handle that spice because it's got so much flavor on it. Um, there's some of us who really enjoy that flavor. Um, and I think our, ourselves mm-hmm. <laughs> included in that. But uh, there are people who are like a little dicey on, on eating wild game and the neck, like a, just a straight up raised neck might be a little much to start the bed on. So although having said that, uh, we had a, a work event at our house recently, like last week, and I was cooking for it and there's about 40 people and I made um, a venison neck uh, as part of the spread just to, for people who may not have tried wild game before and uh so it was like next to chicken and a vegetarian option and uh i went with like the most flavorful cut and i did like a kind of a gochujang braise and um pulled it and served it with uh tortillas for tacos and so many people came to me after and were like wow you know i've had venice in the past and it was awful and i was trepidatious about trying this one, but I did it and it was amazing and, and everyone really liked it. So, so having that, like those bold flavors can really go a long way with it. And the fact that so many people tried that neck and loved it just kind of proves that it's like such a delicious cut. Yeah. And, um, my, my thought was too, if, if you're a person that maybe as Anna mentioned, is a little more sensitive to the flavors of game, um, go the grind route because you can just combine that with mm. all the other grind and it's gonna, it, it's gonna add a little more flavor to the grind. It's gonna add more volume to the grind, but then also too, it's a great way to utilize it. Uh, if you're a little, I would say like overwhelmed by the flavor. So it's, it's a good route to go and definitely, you know, we talked about in other episodes, like, if you want to grind everything, grind everything, like eat, eat what makes you happy. But I would rather you grind that meat and enjoy it than keep it as a whole roast, slow cook it and just be like, oh, this is so intense. I'm not a fan. And then, you know, dump in the trash or give it away to your neighbors or whatever, which I'm sure your neighbors would appreciate it. But um, uh, yeah, I think so like that. That sums up the neck uh, and both the Denver steaks. So I think really, I think we're ready to talk some recipes. So let's start off on the steak side and then we'll work our way, uh, we'll work our way to the neck. So the first one I had up, you don't often see this. I guess maybe you do. Maybe it's becoming more popular, but a grilled venison steak salad. And I will say this about the uh, the Denver steak. Any steak recipe you see out there, you can likely sub in the Denver steak for it. Um, Jeff Benda contributed this recipe uh, for the grilled steak salad, and um, you know he recommends cooking venison steak to medium rare, one thirty, one thirty five, which totally agree with, especially with this cut. Um, you're going to end up with a lot of really good delicious flavors from it um 
the whole thought of like, I know we're at the tail end of summer. It's still really warm in some places. I was just in New Orleans last week and uh, it's pretty warm there. Um, so you could still get away with some summer steak salads, uh, which is where this is. But yeah, you're just going to get your steak seasoned. I recommend Harvest of Nature's Big Game Blend <laughs> naturally uh, for it. And then um, Jeff's got good rundown here of like the seasonings uh, with a bit of lime in there and some salt and some oil and then just grilled those up. And then really your salad greens or whatever you have on hand. We're coming at the tail end of the gardening season. Uh, so whatever you got from the garden, just throw it all together. Maybe some queso fresca or some feta cheese crumbled up in there. And then Jeff recommends a, uh, cilantro lime dressing, which we've got a delicious recipe for and just literally cilantro and lime juice and seasonings and yogurt and honey and all these great things. And we just sort of mix it all together and just, uh, enjoy, um, if you're looking for a way to combine game with something really fresh and light, I think this is the way to do it. And the Denver steaks, the cut you want to go with. Adam, do you have one? What do you got? I think for steak, I, I have a, um, it's a venison steak with the Roquefort shrimp mm. sauce. So, so this is basically like a blue cheese and shrimp, creamy shrimp sauce that you drape over sliced steak. And, uh, when I made it, I made it with venison loin, but when we were talking about doing this podcast, I thought of this recipe immediately because that Denver steak has so much more flavor that the bold flavor of the sauce, uh, like the steak mm-hmm. can really stand up to it even better than a, than a venison loin. Uh, so basically you just like sear off your, your steak, um, nice and medium rare. And then you, cook a little bit of garlic and butter, add some sherry or wine, uh, a bunch of cream, some chopped up shrimp, and your favorite blue cheese. I use Roquefort. It's like nice and bold and creamy. Um, melt that all down and thicken it up. Add some uh, black pepper and maybe some chives or scallions, and it's done. And you just kind of like pour the sauce over the sliced steak, and it's just decadent and creamy and kind of an insane flavor. Like it's, it's really, really cool. Oh, so um, sounds great. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it was a cool recipe. Like beef and, and blue cheese kind of go together. You get, see mm-hmm. a lot of burgers with blue cheese on them, but adding the shrimp just adds an extra, like getting a little poetic here, but a little ethereal kind of flavor, a little lightness to it as well. So yeah, it's a really cool one. I think the Denver steak would be actually the, perfect steak for for that recipe that one's on the intrepid eater we'll, website we'll throw the link in the show notes there for, for sure uh i may have to make that that sounds really tasty um i'm gonna switch it up because <laughs> uh we're, we're running low on time but we'll i'll throw more recipes in the show notes than what we're going to talk about here but you can also too you can go to either the intrepid eater or you can go to harvesting nature and you can search, we both have search features, and you can search steak, or you can search neck, or you can search roast, and work with those to determine if you if you want. But um, I'm going to share this recipe from the neck. Uh, I mentioned New Orleans earlier, and this is very fitting, because uh, John Vile contributed this recipe, uh, venison, red beans, and rice. And so... 
uh, as many of you know, I cut my culinary teeth in the great city of New Orleans, uh, and, and going back there just like revigorated my passion. Uh, I sat in the restaurant and ate at the very place where I had my first kitchen job, um, back, Jesus, we're coming up, uh, 2010, 13 years ago. Uh, so 40 years ago, back in the day. Um, no, it was a pretty cool experience, but, um, this red beans and rice uh, recipe hits, hits some heartstrings for me. So red beans and rice traditionally in New Orleans is served on a Monday. Uh, if you didn't know that Adam, and it, it coincides with the time that you're doing wash traditionally like washing your clothes and stuff because you would have a fire going already to like heat the water and wash your clothes so you would also have a fire going to make red beans and rice um and so this recipe incorporates the use of the venison neck roast but also uh venison shanks and then andouille sausage which i think is is really great um and then a bunch of like your holy trinity of Cajun Creole cooking, which is your your bell peppers, your, your celery, your onions. Your in order to make this, uh, John smoked the meat first, which I think is a great option too, uh, because you're going to impart that smoky flavor on there without cooking it all the way through, and then you can um, uh, incorporate that into your dish which is going to add so much flavor to it as well uh he uses some dark beer and broth and all these other things and just really creates really awesome recipe red beans and rice which is phenomenal but great slow cooked smoked slash braised later in the process way to utilize the necks and both the shanks so you're going to end up with this really rich collagen-y uh dish it's going to just like be super scrumptious. I know it. I know it. So anyway, Adam, what do you got for the neck? Actually, I actually was going to talk about a, one of my dishes, which was a New Orleans inspired Cajun yeah. rice gravy with venison neck. But maybe, maybe you can throw that in the show notes because it's going to be a similar <laughs> process as, as John's there. Instead, I'll talk about a, a venison gadgetang. So gadgetang is a Korean dish. And it's uh, like a neck bone soup. And it's generally made with pork neck. Uh, and when I was living in Toronto, there's a large Korean population there. And there's a little, a little Korea town. And I would go often um, after after the bars when I needed something to soak up all the uh, everything I drank. And these restaurants would stay open till like 4 in the morning. So stumble in at 2.30 and get this big bowl of rich and hearty, spicy broth with these big, huge neck bones in it full of meat and, and potatoes. And it just really did the trick to like get, <laughs> get me stable again so I could make my way home. So <clears throat> I wanted to recreate it with uh, venison. So I, uh, being not in a CWD area, I kept the the bones in on the neck. So I just basically um, sawed the neck in two um, and then just so it could fit in the pot. And I braised that in um, 
I actually started a lot of Asian cuisine, like Vietnamese and Korean and some Chinese cuisine. They'll often um, add the meat. This is the same when you're making pho, which neck would also be great for, by the way. Um, you put the meat in water, bring it to the boil, and then dump that whole pot of water out and then rinse off the meat, put it back and fill the water back up and then start. And that's going to be your broth. And they do that to get rid of any, like, what they call odd flavors or impurities. Um, so it's kind of just an interesting, different way of doing it. So I start that. Uh, I braid, like cook it in, in liquid for two hours. And then I'm adding, like, um, and I also add aromatics in with the cooking liquid, like onions and garlic and ginger, peppercorns, all that kind of stuff. And some uh, Korean um, pepper paste, gochujang and donjang. And then I'm creating a kind of a rich seasoning with um, Korean chili flakes, gochugaru, um, fish sauce, soy sauce, sesame oil, like more of that paste, adding some like bean sprouts and Napa cabbage and then uh, peeled potatoes. And then you just basically, when you're, when you cook the neck that long with the bones on, you can actually like pull them apart. Like the, the vertebrae, they kind of fall apart. So you can take, one or two vertebrae and pop them in a bowl, put the broth over some potatoes and whatever else and serve it like that. And then you just go to town picking the meat out with uh, chopsticks. And it's a really like hands-on way to eat. And it brought back all these awesome memories of being in Toronto and stopping at these delicious Korean restaurants on the way home. Uh, yeah. It's one of my favorite neck recipes I've ever, ever made. Holy smokes. That sounds really good. That sounds really, really good. Um, Sounds very comforting too. As we come into winter, um, yeah, it's super. We'll we'll throw that uh we'll throw that definitely in the show notes because uh all these are delicious recipes. But I don't know. I I think unfortunately we're we're at the tail end of time here. Uh, so I'll kick it over to you, Adam. Any last thoughts uh about the two cuts we talked today or in general? Um. Not particularly. Maybe with the the neck, um, if you have like an older, larger animal, uh, make sure that you know that that cut is probably going to take longer to cook. So if you got an old big buck that you've been hunting for years and you finally took it down, that neck is probably going to take three to four hours to cook. If you have a doe or a young buck, it might only take an hour or two. So, so. If you see the recipe says cook for two hours, keep in mind that if you have an older animal, like a big ram or something, like uh, leave some space so a little extra time to, to cook until That's it's a great time. note. Yeah, no, I think uh, these these both these cuts are very contrasting cuts, uh, which I think we're starting to kind of uh, do that as we push through these this series. But either way, both valuable cuts often missed miscut left in the field tossed in the ground pile whatever so just uh think through those you know as you're butchering uh think think ahead about what you want to do with different cuts as you're pulling it off the animal i think you'll find yourself in a better place but other than that i'll, I'll just plug the pig camp one more time we'd love to have you come get more hands-on experience uh you know you got adam and myself there plus uh the other instructors that come with a wealth of knowledge and uh you get to eat delicious food too the whole time you're there and hang out and you get to listen to me 
talk in person. Uh, my voice probably sounds the same, so there's nothing exciting there, but, uh, I don't know. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, and as always, the show notes will make available online or over on the website at Harvesting Nature. And then uh, make sure you head over to social media platforms, uh, both Harvesting Nature and the Intrepid Eater, and you check us out. Give us a follow. And then whatever podcast platform you're doing, punch that five-star button. Leave us a review. Tell us we're doing wrong or, you know, tell us we're doing right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. <laughs>